Hello, everybody. Welcome back. It's the Philosopher's Stone Podcast Season 2, Episode 3. What's up, Sam? How you doing? Doing pretty good. Feeling feeling like I'm three episodes in to Season 2. That's how I feel. Nice. It's a good episode to be on. It's, it's a classic <laughs> number. The Holy Trinity. Yeah, uh, it could be the most important episode of the whole whole thing. This could be the episode that really cracks it open for us and just become an international sensation. Or you know what? I would settle for becoming just a national sensation, but not in Canada. You know, like imagine if we blew up in, like, <laughs> I don't know, Afghanistan, maybe not Afghanistan. Uh, <laughs> good blow up place to blow up nice. in. Uh, maybe <laughs> Mongolia. That would be pretty cool. Yeah, Mongolia. We're the biggest yeah. podcast in Mongolia. Hell yeah. That'd be dope. <laughs> um, Sam, question for you real quick. What is your favorite cloud? Um, I like the big puffy white ones, the like the thunderstorm kind. They look Those, like the thunderstorm. They look you like thunderstorms a, or thunderstorm clouds are typically white white clouds in your mind. Like the thunderheads are, aren't they, right? Like the big they look like a volcanic eruption of like ash but it's a cloud yeah i don't think those are uh those aren't thunder clouds i don't think anyways i ask you this because i was just watching this thing there is a cloud appreciation society and oh uh, yeah i I listened to that episode of the daily really yeah (laughs) what episode very good episode actually it's called the daily you know um the new york times the daily the new york times the daily yeah they do a they do episodes Monday to Friday, and then on Sunday they do something called the Sunday Read, where somebody writes an article and then they read the article, and that's the podcast. And they did one about the Cloud Appreciation Society. I'm it's very interesting. It on a YouTube, it's called the Sixty Second Doc, and uh, yeah, it's a bunch of people that get together and they discuss clouds and their favorite cloud formations. Which, if yeah. that's not the biggest cry for help, I don't know what is. Man, I just don't. I don't. Why do you, why, why do you got to take take away their hobby from them? Why can't you let them enjoy? Is their it a clouds? hobby? There's no there's no participation involved. It's like a book club for something. <laughs> it's a book club for clouds. Like they stand yeah, could... outside and they pick out the clouds they like the best and they talk about them. That's uh, that to me is is sad. It is sad. I hope it rains on their parade. Oh my god, you're you're just a, a miserable old Scrooge. That's that's what you are. I think it's a sign of <laughs> mental illness to do something like that. <laughs> to, to like clouds? To No, not to like clouds. <laughs> form a fucking appreciation society based around them. And have a bunch uh, of people bond over cloud types. is To me, that's one of the darkest things I've ever heard. Oh, okay. So you're saying that some kinds of groups of appreciation are okay, and then some are not okay. And if one of them involves clouds, then it's not okay. But that's what—that's your position. I mean, technically, well, I don't even know if I like any appreciation groups. What, what, <laughs> what are you? Why do you got to be in a group to appreciate stuff? Um, I think it's a way to group yourself with like-minded people who share an appreciation of something that you appreciate. And you all get together, and you and you love. Before the same I thing. met Daryl, I hadn't met anyone <laughs> who likes clouds. <laughs> well, hey, like say, like you like clouds a lot, and you you walk up to someone and you're like, hey, so what do you think, cuneolo nimbus or 
Serratus and they have no idea what you're talking about. You feel alone in the world, but then you go to the Cloud Appreciation Society and everybody knows what you're talking about. You're all speaking the same language and then you feel like you are with your people and you don't feel alone anymore. (sighs) You do though. You do feel alone. (laughs) If you're that stoked on clouds, you will always be, you always have a part of you that's completely alone. That's what I think. Um, Speaking of thunderclouds, though, holy shit! Did our province over here, over the over in British Columbia, did we ever get shit kicked by a storm yesterday? Yeah, uh, I think the Lower Mainland is entirely cut off by road from the rest of Canada. Yeah, the, yeah. it's insane how many mudslides there were. The, the most, a ton of highways are completely like they won't be open for a long time. Damage. Mm-hmm. They're going to have Kelowna, to evacuate. They're, they're, I think they're going to have to evacuate the entire city of Merritt. They already did. They did already. Oh, they, my God. They lost the ability to treat uh, their water treatment uh, and waste management is completely fucked right now. So they can't do any of that. So no flushing toilets, no showers. Like, you just got to abandon the city. It's not nice. Shit out of luck. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> um, even so Kelowna, funny. like, it, it, it was the weirdest thing. It was probably... It was like overcast, then like vicious lightning and and rain and wind for about, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes. And then it was back to blue skies again. But that 15 minutes like decimated. So it caused so much damage. Like just driving home, like a bunch of the street, uh, the intersection lights were down, like fences were blown down, trees were blocking the roads. Like it was pretty chaotic. I, like literally a 15 minute storm like ruined this town. Damn, weather bomb. Yeah, exactly. That, yeah, it, I was at work when it hit and it went from like literally no, not a drop to you're soaking wet and like having to run for shelter within moments. <laughs> Wow. Did it come from the west or the east or the north or the south? I gave you I all think the it came from It came from northwest is what I, like, Ooh. from what I could tell. Came, oh, like, wow. northwest, yeah, and uh, just ruined mm. this place. Anyways, now people are like, oh, no, we don't have supply lines from the coast, so we got to scramble to the grocery store and fucking buy everything we can. So that's... Uh, that's the, we're back to that stage of the apocalypse in our city. <laughs> so, well, seriously, like, how many highways come into Kelowna from the east? I think there's one. <laughs> it's enough. There's no like what the nearest thing. I mean, maybe you could come in from the states, though. I think yeah, you could you go can. in through the states through Sumas, or no, not Sumas. Um, Night owl, night nighthawk. Yeah, see, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not that familiar with all the highways and where they are and where they go. So, the Soyuz? I can't, you can come in through the Soyuz. Yeah. Um, I went and saw Dune again. Nice. This time armed with more knowledge of the story and uh, a little bit of psilocybin mushroom assistance in the dome. And uh, I liked it even better the second time, I got to say. Thought it was uh, I, I I picked up on a lot more stuff I missed the first time and uh, yeah it was good it was good shit highly recommend nice yeah I've seen it three times and twice in IMAX and I'll you know what I'm probably gonna see it a fourth time I'm gonna be honest 
the th- we don't have an IMAX in our city, so we went to the biggest theater we could go to, and it, it still felt like it needed a bigger screen to me. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's incredible. Can't wait, can't wait. We did a whole episode on that. We don't want to. We don't want to bore the people with more. No, more we talk. don't. But no, uh, much I thought you might be interested about... that uh, the second viewing was quite, quite, quite good. And I downloaded the audiobook, so I'm going to try and get nitty gritty with this shit. Nice. Definitely, Summer. yeah. I would say books one, two, and three for sure. Hit them up. That's what I hear. Yeah. I can't I can't speak to the rest of it because it gets it's a pretty long series, but Well, didn't his son take over and start writing them and those ones kind of sucked? Yeah, I don't, I don't I really don't think you need to get into like all that later stuff anyway, like it's good enough to get the first book and then maybe the second and third too, but yeah, it's not uh it's not essential to read the whole shebang. Roger that. You can get yeah, you can get what you need from the first 3. Well, then I will only, well, yeah, I only, I'm probably only going to listen to the first one anyways, to be honest. Um, what else I can recommend another sci-fi series, though. Oh, yeah, I'll recommend another sci-fi series. Um, if you want another sci-fi series, this one's also very famous, so people have probably may have probably heard of it. It's called The Three-Body Problem. I watched some videos on that. Uh, that guy's YouTube channel, Quinn's Ideas, I watched a bunch of his shit. Um, oh yeah, he's got good videos. Yeah, yeah, he he has a lot of a uh, lot of info on but on the sci-fi genre, and I I uh, got like a quick summation of that that trilogy as well. Yeah, that's a really good one. We could probably do uh, an episode on that at some point too, because there's a lot of cool uh, philosophical ideas in the three body problem. What's that fantasy series that everybody? I've been hearing the name of it a couple of times. It's called like the Name of the Wind or something. Have you heard of that? By Patrick Rothfuss? Or The Wheel of Time? I don't even know the name. Is the name of the, know the yeah, the name, name of the wind. The Name of the Wind is a series. Oh. Is it um, good? Um, I'm like... I read the first one, and it was like, okay. Like, it's a fun... Like, it's it, like the, the writing is nice. Like, he writes well. It has some cool stuff going on, but... It's basically another like boy orphan boy goes to magic school ah, type of thing. So okay. I'm just like, all right, whatever. You can dress this up however many different ways. I you think want. I might it's be confusing story. two different things because <laughs> there was another series that someone recommended to me, and I thought that one was the one called The Name of the Wind, but it doesn't sound like that to me at all. I think you talked about it on this show actually once. Um, Maybe I can't recall. I I've read the first book and then. I was just not really interested in it after that. No, because you um, really liked the one you were talking to me about. Really? Yeah, I forget what it is though. Anyways, we talked we talked huh. about it on some episode eons ago. But uh neither here nor Damn. there. What the hell are we talking about today, Sam? <laughs> uh we are talking about something that you've probably heard of before. It's very uh sort of modern thing came about in this century. It's been made famous in the movies, specifically the film A Beautiful Mind starring Russell Crowe. Is it as... schizophrenia? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. No, it's uh, um, it's 
called Game Theory. I've watched A Beautiful Mind a lot, and I have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. Game okay, theory? so Beautiful Mind, Game Theory, yeah, Game Theory. So you, you remember in A Beautiful Mind, Russell Crowe plays this mathematician named John Nash? Yeah. Right? And yes, he does happen to have schizophrenia. But, and schizophrenia is sort of what is like preventing him from doing his work. And his work was on this thing called game theory. And so what is game theory? Um, well, if you Google it on YouTube, don't don't bother Googling it on YouTube because you just get like a billion Minecraft videos. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> YouTube is essentially a Minecraft uh, TV <laughs> channel now. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> How is um, Minecraft so... <laughs> remaining this interesting for so many people? I don't, I don't understand. I just that's something I don't think I ever want to know. Yeah, I don't really want to know <laughs> why that, why it's so popular. Um, yeah, I have no clue. Anyway, uh, so game game theory. To quote the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy, game theory is the study of interdependent choice and action game theory studies how rational self-interested agents make decisions in response to the decisions used by other agents okay okay so um so game theory is not about an individual making decisions by themselves like independently of other people Mm -hmm. and it's also not about how like collectives or large groups of people make decisions with other large groups of people. It's not about that. It's just about how individuals, small groups of individuals make decisions in particular contexts. Okay. I'll give you like an example, right? So here's an example, a famous, this is one that John Nash came up with. And this is called the, like you, I guess you'd call it the wine problem or the bargaining problem. And so imagine there's two people, there's Claudia and uh, Kathleen, Claudia and Kathleen will say, and they both want two C's, both want two C's. They both want a bottle of wine. Yeah. But there's only one bottle of wine. So they have, at first it seems like they have two strategies that they could adopt. And strategy one is called the Hawk strategy. And the Hawk strategy is, you take the bottle of wine. The other strategy is called, and run. And then the other strategy is called the dove strategy. And which is that you leave the bottle of wine for the other person. So here's where the game theory comes in, right? Because this is a dilemma. So if we assume that both Claudia and Laura are self-interested rational agents, they might both, they're both going to want the bottle. That's the best outcome for both of them is to get the bottle. But if they both adopt a strategy where they try to take the bottle of wine, then they're going to end up fighting and neither of them will get the bottle. That's sort of assumed in game theory is that the players have equal strength. On the other hand, if they both adopt the dove strategy, then neither of them will get the bottle, which is also the worst, which is also a bad outcome. So both strategies appear to have bad outcomes for them that don't work. But there's a third strategy. This one might be familiar to if you have read the works of King Solomon. Uh, splitting this it? Is, <laughs> this is where they split it. Each will take half the bottle. <laughs> yeah, that was a great However, idea. Let's cut this baby in half. 
Then you guys can both be mothers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this one, so this is like the, 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 this is the, the third strategy is they each opt to take half the bottle. However, the third strategy, unlike the other two, only works if both of them agree to it. There so is a sort of... scene in uh, Beautiful Mind where he's essentially running the same theory about uh, him and his friends, right? They're at the bar and these uh, these women come in and one of them is this mm-hmm. like really beautiful blonde one and the other ones are like brunette that are also, you know, good looking. They're all good looking, okay? But <laughs> the blonde one, for whatever reason, is the one that they all want, Um and then John Nash is sitting there smoking his, his cigarette and he's like, well, if we all go for the blonde, none of us will get her and we'll also not get her friends because they don't like to be ch- second choice. Um, mm-hmm. And then he like has, he essentially runs the scenario and, he, and he, he, they all agree that the best scenario is that no one goes for the blonde and everybody can get a brunette or whatever. <laughs> Do you remember that scene? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's that was actually that's sort of an illustration of one of his major uh contributions to game theory which is called the Nash equilibrium. And that's when every used player by all the chooses... pickup artists now. Really? No. Nash equilibrium? <laughs> oh. <laughs> you should watch some pickup artist tutorials on YouTube. It is very very entertaining. They are absolute fucking oh, sociopaths. I'm not surprised. Um, But yeah, so Nash Equilibrium is uh, each player chooses a strategy in response to the strategies chosen by the other players so that each player chooses the best, each player's strategy is the best possible strategy given what the other players are are doing. Yeah. So I think in the bargaining problem example, the Nash Equilibrium is if they both take half the bottle because they can't do better. I don't know. Honestly, this stuff, like, it can get ridiculously complex to the point that I'm not going to get into that level of detail because I don't have time. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, are we going to get into any more detail or are we pretty much wrapped for the week? <laughs> this is how you split that's, a bottle That's it wine. for today. That's it. Yeah, that's it for today. Cool. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> um, so, no, we're going to look at... Uh, so that's like a bit of the history of game theory. Now we're going to look at how it's being applied, particularly in philosophy. And there's a there's a, some ways it's applied in philosophy, particularly to explain the purpose or function of morality. Okay. Right. And the main way people try to use game theory to help with morality is to, it's called, uh, they're trying to reconcile morality with rationality. Right? So sometimes... If you remember, we talked about Plato and Plato pointed out that sometimes it might seem like it's more rational to commit an injustice than it is to do the right thing. So he had the example with the magic ring and you put it on, you turn invisible, you can commit sort of any, any crime you want and no one will know it was you. Yeah. So what, what mode, what, uh, if you're a self-interested rational individual, and you can do anything you want without any accountability. What motivation do you have to 
uh, behave morally or behave justly. Right. I remember we talked about this. Right. And we came down to that you, um, depending on the type of person, but eventually you're going to end up not getting um, fulfillment from just doing whatever you want with no accountability because you won't. I forget how, where we ended up on that one, but. <laughs> okay, well, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> um, so, so we can apply this, uh, this game theory to help solve that problem. So here's another dilemma that can illustrate the problem. And this is from a philosopher named Edna Ullman Margalit. Edna. And this is Edna. Is that yeah. a woman? I, the, I believe so. I don't know for sure. Edna. That's a name I that I so. want to come back. I'm just saying that right now. I'm naming <laughs> all three of my triplets Edna. Edna, Edna, Edna. Edna, Edna, Edna. <laughs> Edna, 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 Edna. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. So in, th in this dilemma, right, you imagine there's two soldiers and they have two mortars and they have orders to remain at their posts and bombard that advancing enemy with mortar fire. Now, each soldier has a choice. They can stay at their post or they can flee. If they stay at their post, they will hold off the enemy, but they will definitely get injured in the process. If they not kill, injured, not maybe, maybe, yeah, not, not kill, just like maybe injured, maimed okay. or something. Um, but if they both flee, the enemy will not only advance, but it will be able to shoot them down and kill them while they're fleeing. Finally, if one flees and one stays, then the one who stays will die holding off the enemy, but the one who flees will have just enough time to escape and survive unharmed. So both soldiers have a reason to flee because fleeing is the only strategy that leads to their best outcome, which is yeah. not getting harmed. But if they both flee, they're both dead. Exactly. Uh, so it's a, it's a dilemma. And so one solution might be, okay, well, why don't they just promise each other that they won't flee? And the problem with that is people tend to break promises. Yeah, they do. When it suits them, right? So this is where, according, this is so Ullman Margalit proposes that this is where morality comes in. Morality is like a metaphorical way to chain these soldiers to their post. So the chains are like moral norms for keeping promises and condemning people who don't keep their promises. Yeah. Right. So in this sense, according to game theory, so according to game theory, the most rational thing for the soldiers to do is both stay at their posts because that way neither of them die and they hold off the enemy. Yeah, that is the, but they're, that is the best option for them. Any yeah. option where both people live is the right option. Yeah. But because they're, uh, I don't know, maybe because they're human or something like that, uh, they maybe are afraid of the injury, and so they might run away. And so in this, yeah, I mean, it would be Ullman really, Ullman, it would really change things if they knew what specific injury they're going to get, right? Because if they're both <laughs> catching some shrapnel in the nutsack, they might fucking, they might be sitting there like, ah, uh, it might be an injury that they'd rather be dead, you know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we forgot yeah, to mention the injury is all of your limbs disintegrate. 
that might be something they might be like you know what buddy you go live a fully limbed life and i'm gonna just take (laughs) take the hit here we gotta specify the injury like if they're both coming out of there with like a sprained (laughs) thumb then fuck yeah stay in there but um Man, living my limbed life. <laughs> you live your fully limbed life as fully as you can, but I'm going to sit That's in this foxhole and uh, then you got to start comparing notes. Who has the better life? Who's got kids? Who's got the most like positive impact on their society? And meanwhile, you're working out all the numbers and you got, you're getting all the krauts are crashing the beach. <laughs> Whoa, racial slurs. I'm German. Damn. I can call myself a crowd. <laughs> I, wish, I wish it was... I'm going to take back that word. What up, crowd? <laughs> <laughs> take it back. The K word. All right. Um, right. So uh, so that's one way of looking at it. Uh, according, in, in that way, you could say the purpose of moral norms is to prevent failures of rationality caused by our own fear or greed. But that doesn't really solve the the problem posed by Plato and other philosophers, which is like, what if what if it does seem really seem more rational to do the wrong thing? So uh, you remember Thomas Hobbes? Yeah. He also uh, yeah. So he also has he has this character in Leviathan called the Fool, and the Fool thinks that okay, like hey, maybe sometimes you make a, a bargain with somebody. And they fulfill their end of the bargain before you do. Then sometimes maybe it would be rational for you to just not bother fulfilling your end of the bargain. Like why not? Well, it's con- like in the movies when there like, was no consequences. Um. Yeah, potentially no consequences. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that would be tempting, depending on what it yeah. is. Yeah, depending on what it is, right? Uh, as we know, though, in life, there are there are always consequences. Con- consequences. Yeah. yeah. So Plato's solution to this, and so game theory calls this the inseparable goods strategy. So this is the idea that uh, taking a certain action might have hidden costs. So Plato, like Plato, says that whenever you commit an injustice you cause irreparable damage to your own soul and damaging your own soul is the worst possible outcome. So then in game theory, it would, the conclusion would be that it's never to your advantage to act immorally because you're going to damage your soul, which is the worst outcome. Yeah. I mean, now you're talking shit that is like, um, you know, the non-physical. So Mm -hmm. damaging your soul uh, some people don't care about things like that. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't think that you have to be a psychopath to have like a limited capacity for empathy. Mm. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think most people empathy, have definitely. varying degrees of empathy, right? Like you'd like mm-hmm. to think everybody's stocked with the same amount of empathy, but that's just not true. Yeah. And, and you seem to have less empathy when, you are like obsessed with something that you really want. Like it, it sort of blots out all of your empathy and even Um, guilt. Like, like 
most people feel guilt, but most people feel really guilty for stuff they shouldn't even feel that guilty for. And other people don't feel very much guilt over stuff they should be feeling really guilty about. So it's, it's, there's a, a mixed pot out there. And yeah. thus it can be kind of hard to predict what each individual will do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so this, this solution, the, the, the corrupting your own soul thing, maybe not very persuasive, probably even less persuasive to you would be Thomas Aquinas's solution, which is that sins will cause you to suffer punishment in the afterlife. So again, it's oh, never no. to act. <laughs> oh no. The thing about the sin thing is, is that like everybody, according to the Bible, no matter how good you think you are, you are going to go to hell, right? Without Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Yes, that's true. So, like, mm-hmm. the yes. amount of sin you commit doesn't, like, increase the torture you're going to experience in hell, right? So, as long as you got that, that that trump card of just giving your life over to or asking Jesus into your heart at any point in your life, you're fucking good. Um, their <laughs> rule's not mine. I know they say God knows your heart, but, like, lots of people don't have control over their heart or you know the metaphorical heart where uh here's the thing about morality and and people in general is that everybody thinks that they're doing most people don't set out to do evil right they they might have become callous over you know years of bad experiences and other people being callous to them is that really their fault you know what I'm saying? Like, at what? How much accountability is there for the person you become? Um, like you, a person uh, that's raised amongst thieves <laughs> won't feel like won't feel bad about stealing, right? Right, right, right. Yeah. But is it their fault? They were la- they were raised amongst thieves. Oh, hey, I'm not arguing with you. I I agree nature nurture right like yeah so we're not we're not responsible this whole thing about you're gonna be racking up sins and you're gonna end up in hell it's like who cares just fucking at the end of your life you're gonna just say the words and you're gonna go to heaven yeah but you really have to believe it you have to believe it well you gotta believe it if you say if you're like god you get to heaven and god's like hey i know you apologize for stealing all those years but i can tell in your heart you actually don't feel bad because you weren't raised to feel bad about stealing so in that sense you're fucked mm. because where you grew up already determined what your what your level of empathy is probably going to be about certain things hmm man you don't you don't think you don't think uh St. Peter at the gate knows that like, Hey, look, you were raised in a rough environment and anyone raised in that environment would have done the things that you've done. And God's smart enough to know that, you know, you were a victim of circumstance and, uh, we're not going to hold victim. you. God put me there. Yeah. <laughs> what is this victim shit? Well, well, I mean, it's not like we put you there. It's more, it's like, it's more of a roll of the dice kind of thing. Oh, and, you know, it just tends to happen that way. And, you know, you were shit out of luck while you were alive. But, you know, we're, we're not going to hold you accountable to that. And, uh, you know, go on in and have a shower. Uh, have a shower. You know, clean that stink <laughs> of sin off you, boy. Clean that shit off you. Um, like, 
I'm like, if you're like, for an example, like a lot of people that are turn out to be, you know, killers, serial killers. A lot of those people had horrific childhoods. And if they didn't have those horrific childhoods, probably wouldn't have ended up killing a bunch of people. So it's like, at what point, like how Mm -hmm. much accountability is on the shoulders of the individual uh, based on like their actions? I mean, based on like most people don't believe that they're doing bad, you know, when they're that's true day to day, they might, they don't believe they're doing evil or whatever. Very, very platonic of you to say that people think they're doing what people think, whatever they're doing is justified. Yeah. For the most part. And if they don't, they mm-hmm. feel riddled with guilt and usually try to make amends. But I don't yeah. know. I guess my point is is that, um, like, most people don't view themselves as the bad guy. No, and and you know what? God doesn't view you as the bad guy either. So why did we make? Why do you make a hell? Well, like. Um... Here's the thing, right? If there's no evil in the world, how would you know what good is? Okay, so let me get this right. straight. I'm, I'm I'm playing I'm playing God's God, God's God decided <laughs> that everything's too good, right? Garden of Eden, too good. I need to make something that's bad so that they realize how good the good stuff is. Because right now, exactly. they're not walking around saying how good everything is, and that's what I need. Taking the words right out of my mouth. Whatever. I, I, I'm just saying, is, <laughs> morality is 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 a, is a variable. It's a it's a knob that is on a different setting for everyone. Hmm. Interesting. Um. Okay, so you so you're not maybe you're not going to like this this one either, right? So we've we've done corruption of the soul, we've done punishment in the afterlife. Then the third one's philosopher named Sidgwick, and he proposes that when you violate your moral duty, you incur what he called internal sanctions on yourself. So, for example, guilt and shame, right? When you know that you've done something wrong. And so that would be, so basically the game theory idea is that when you approach the fool's dilemma, you have to keep in mind that, for example, failing to fulfill your end of the bargain will carry with it extra costs. Yeah. And that might be a corrupted soul, torment in hell, or feelings of guilt. And I'd say like but a large maybe... swath of the population would, would feel that way, right? Most people on that, on that, I guess that dial of morality, most people are probably within you know, the same range, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, so then there's another uh, another approach to the this sort of inseparable, inseparable good strategy. So we've done what, we might, what you might call internal sanctions, which are things that are going to happen within you. Then the other kind of solution is called the social sanctions. And I think these are seem to be a lot more popular today. These are probably the most, so, I'm guessing they're the same, except for society's placing them on you. Right, shame and stuff. Um, yeah, a little bit, but it's not. It's not even about like how you feel. It's it's strictly like about um, your capacity to make more bargains. Right. So Hobbes' solution was: if you don't uphold your end of a bargain, other people aren't going to want to make bargains with you. 
And now where now now where are you? Yeah, now, see, what this you to me seems like the most realistic motivation is <laughs> is that like honestly this like it's a bit of both of these last two the, the internal sanctions and the and the social sanctions it's like you're going to feel like shit but also people are not going to like you and you're not going to be able to make bargains with people or whatever people are going to people are going to start realizing that you're not someone they want to deal with exactly exactly and then our uh, our friend David Hume also had a solution and Hume put it in terms of trust, right? So Hume argued that trust is sort of the most important social commodity. And the way to build trust is to make promises to other people and then keep those promises. Yeah. And then the more trust that you build up with people, the more they will give you because they know that you're, you're good for it. Yes. So trust so. easily broken, but not easily <laughs> regained. And that's a property Ooh, of trust that uh, keeps people on the straight and narrow. You know what I'm saying? Indeed. Except for those those people who they call them con- confidence tricksters who are very good at, at building trust and then not giving you anything for it. Building trust, but are they breaking it, right? Oh, they always break it. They always break it. So once they break the trust, unless they've like completely abused or manipulated someone, that that person's not going to trust them anymore and thus probably exit their life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, so that's the thing with the, the confidence trickster is they can only do it to one person once and then they got to leave town because everybody knows. Yeah, they're a grifter. They like, legitimately have to go, they have to live life on the road because every town they go to, they <laughs> destroy it. They essentially burn every bridge as they leave town. Yeah. Yeah, it's very, the, yeah, it's interesting. And then, um, yeah, I wonder if like a politician is like that, like, a, like politicians who promise lots of stuff on the campaign trail and then don't deliver on it once they're in office. It's because they know they only have their one shot in office, right? So they don't have to think, who do they care if they break the trust? They can't <laughs> run for office again. That's true. All they, they, only, they only need the trust to get into office. Yeah. They don't actually need to keep it going once they're in. Like once they're in, they, they want. Like that's what they want. Yeah. That was the outcome they wanted. Yeah. And yet- yeah, so from a game theory perspective, politicians don't have any uh, incentive to keep bargains if they have like a fixed term and they only want to serve one term. Especially if they're in their, if there's a two term thing, if they're in a second term, like, like if you're president of the United States and you're in your second term, that second term, you're way less accountable to like actually, you know, produce results because you know, you're not getting elected Mm. again anyways. Yeah. Ironically though, I think um I think the second term is considered the one in which presidents can get their biggest agenda stuff done. Because they don't have to worry about getting reelected so they can spend all their political capital. I have no idea, honestly. I see what you mean. Like <laughs> now they're like, I don't care who I piss off. I'm doing this so they can make big plays Exi- without yeah, sort like, of. having to yeah. uh, jeopardize their second term potentially. Yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. But 
I don't know. I think if you want to be a politician and you want to get reelected, you do have to keep at least some promises to some people. But you don't always have to do that, right? Because that's the whole thing is sometimes if you just make yourself into the the lesser of two evils, people will choose yeah. you because exactly they're just afraid of the other thing. Well, yeah, well, that's, that's, that's what Joe Biden was for a lot of people. <laughs> no one, no one was. Yeah, I, like I'm sure there were people, but. For the most part, I don't think a lot of people were really stoked that Joe Biden was president now. Smoke, smoking Joe. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, they're just happy Trump's not president well, anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's like an interesting thing, though, is like if the if your strategy to get elected is to be the lesser of two evils, then you don't actually have to make any promises to anybody yeah. or do anything because you're just you're just the lesser of two evils. People are winning by not getting the other you're literally just a placeholder that's like a a, bookmark yeah that's a clever way to to do it like because then you don't have you don't have to do anything you always see these these like actual like these politicians that really do seem like they genuinely want to do good in the world and they never get elected (laughs) ever yeah oh like like bernie like a Bernie Sanders or like I've just you I've just seen them I've seen them like they they get a little like heat yeah. on them and then they but they never get elected mm-hmm. because well Bernie Sanders yeah. I understand why people didn't want to vote for him because for that for the for Americans he seemed like he was proposing for your a money. lot of drastic changes <laughs> not so drastic if he was running here in Canada yeah, <laughs> but down there he was—he seemed like way too, um, too socialist for the American dream yeah. to function. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it's that's that's a tough one. Those those politicians, Ralph Nader, Al Gore, great guys. Um, anyway, <laughs> everybody's laughing at Al Gore's so that... inconvenient truth for a decade, and now we're like, oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. Where's yeah. Al? Well, dude, that... Where's Al? Al! Al. <laughs> we need Al. So that, that actually leads us into um, sort of the last uh, last couple topics, and that is sort of how does game theory solve real-world practical dilemmas? So, for example, there's a, a classic kind of dilemma, which is called the tragedy of the commons. We, we've probably talked about it at some point, but a commons is an unregulated resource that anyone can access at any time. And the classic example is some large grassy field. Okay. And so the shepherds, the shepherds can let their flocks into the field at any time for free food. And so this is great for the shepherds because they get their sheep fed for free and then they can, you know, kill the sheep or sell the wool or whatever. So they end up with a, and they don't have to spend any money on grass or maintaining a field. So they have a huge profit margin. It's great. The problem is if all the shepherds let their flocks in, then the it gets overgrazed and the resource is ruined for everyone. But if some people hold back, then the other shepherds who don't hold back get to go in and enjoy and enjoy all the free free loot. So this is sort of like the wine bottle problem, but scaled up. Scaled up, up to sheep level. To, well, to you, sheep level, exactly. <laughs> I mean, the obvious solution is uh, you take turns, right? Yep, that is that is precisely one common solution, right? Because this happens all over the world. 
with all sorts of different kinds of resources, but that's one solution. People take turns, um, so set up some sort of system of regulation. Yeah. Um, just make sure that you don't overgrade, you, like back off before the, the field is completely yeah. ruined and wait until it's good to go again. These all require mm -hmm. some sort yeah, of person to, to be an, an authority though, right? Like, uh, who's enforcing that the shepherds are waiting their proper to, for their proper turn in line? Yeah, anarchy might not work. Like that's the thing is right. Like game theory usually, like a lot of these game theory scenarios, it's built into the scenario that there is no way for players to enforce any deal. The only thing that can cause them to stick to the deal is if it's in their own self-interest right so the solution has Just to be sticking to it equally beneficial for everyone so there wouldn't have to be an authority to hold people accountable because everybody would would want to do their part anyways yeah and then like even adding the authority doesn't always solve anything as you know as we know um just getting back to the politician thing right like suppose a politician gets elected on the promise to make sure that everyone takes their fair turn at the common resource. But then of course, you know, the politician is corrupt and they take bribes and they favor, they, uh, they play favorites with who can access the, the resource and stuff like that. So even just putting in an authority doesn't necessarily solve the no. problem. Not when human beings uh, are allowed to be human beings. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the other solution, another common solution is to, just do away with the idea of an unregulated resource that anyone can access and turn it in and give everyone a private resource that they control and that they're responsible for. So that's another solution. But uh, it's like splitting the field whoa, up into flood? however many shepherds there are and everybody's responsible for their own field. Yeah. Basically you just take, you just don't have a commons yeah. anymore. Um, so this problem you know, sometimes like there's a, you can put it more abstractly. You can, and you can characterize the tragedy of the commons in these three terms. And again, quoting from Stanford encyclopedia. So in, so this is the tragedy of the commons when in three conditions, first condition, individuals stand to benefit from using the resource to the greatest extent possible Two, the actions of any one individual have a negligible impact on the resource. But three, the actions of every individual taken together have a large impact. And this is the uh, this is the ideal so, scenario. No, this is like what creates the tragedy. Oh. Comments, is these three oh. sort of things. <laughs> so, yeah, classic example is um, if you throw something into the Grand Canyon, you get hit with an enormous fine. Like, I think you can even go to prison Holy for it. Like, but you get hit with a massive, if you, if, if they catch you like throwing like a can of Coke into the grand Canyon, like you're going to be paying sitting there tens of thousands prison. of dollars. What are you in for? I, uh, <laughs> my Tamagotchi died again. So in a fit of rage, I threw it into the grand Canyon. <laughs> right in front of an officer. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then like, and then on the grandest scale, this like speaking of, you know, the I think they called it like an atmospheric river event or something that hit BC. But um, 
the tragedy of the commons can help to illustrate the climate change problem as well. And one of the reasons climate change is so hard to solve is that it's called the free rider problem. So if climate change is solved, everyone will benefit regardless of who spent the time and money to solve it. So you could adopt the strategy of heavily investing in solving climate change, spending tons of resources and time to fix it. And then you achieve the benefit. But the other person who didn't spend any time or resources to fix it enjoys the exact same benefit. So if you're a self-interested rational agent, why would you bother? Why would you adopt the strategy of, you know, spending so much time and effort when you could also get the benefit by just doing nothing? Yeah. It's one of those things where as someone else will deal with it. Uh, I'm too dumb and busy and poor to do anything about it. So um, <laughs> hopefully the rich and powerful decide to help everybody <laughs> like they're so known for doing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I think, uh, I don't know if this is like vague or not, but I think Jeff Bezos recently said that in the future, humanity will all have to like live on like the moon or like Mars or something. And then rich people can go to the earth as like a nature resort. That sounds fucking awful. I would rather <laughs> die. Man, I, I, was, I mean, if this planet's going down, I'm not, I'm not going to be on any of these ships bound for fucking some asteroid or, or Mars or like, there's like no you don't want to live on a world ship i don't want okay like even if it's a nice spaceship it's gonna get boring after a while and it's gonna get hopeless it's gonna be just like being on earth again except for more cramps and probably less cool shit to do um okay but what but what if but what if mark zuckerberg is the captain of the ship and you can use the metaverse when you're on the ship I don't fucking care. Uh, what is a metaverse? It's to me. It looked like I haven't even watched the promo video. Maybe I should, but it looked like like it's a like a, it's a pub. No, nah, it's a public. It's a public relations stunt. It just looks like. It's, it's, isn't it's it just nothing. face? It's like VR. Like he like built you a living room yeah. or some shit. And now you're supposed it's to not, live in there. It's, it's it's a publicity stunt. It's PR. It's literally just to change the topic from how uh, shitty Facebook is for people's mental health. <laughs> That's all it is. That's literally all it it's is. It's so bad. <laughs> the whole rebranding thing, like like they're not. Hey, they're not you know how Facebook is fucking up VR. society and it's only in 2D? <laughs> <laughs> Just wait till you see what it does when it's in 3D. <laughs> <laughs> Exploited in three dimensions. Yeah. <laughs> wild. Yeah. No, it's it's nothing. Very wild. Yeah. So um so the game theory solutions to climate change are uh I mean, they're not super, it's not like it's been solved, but it, I don't know, I don't know if I would even call them solutions, but it's more just like different approaches where you can approach it on the level where individual people make changes in their lives, or you approach it on the level where states have to make uh, big collective changes. Well, and I, I don't, I don't think anything will happen until there's some sort of replacement for energy. There are better alternatives for energy, nuclear, solar. The problem is, is that people are slow to adapt change of this magnitude, very slow. And, um, people 
like the major major causes of uh, global warming i think are are less about the individual and more about the uh, massive corporations that run the planet they well yeah it's that thing they have the power it's, it's to that stop thing it. where they do they just don't yeah yeah it's that thing where the actions of any one individual individual have a negligible impact yeah but the actions of every individual taken together have a huge impact and so just like with all these game theory things is there is a solution there is a strategy that will work but it only works if everybody adopts it there is a slow shift in like the collective mentality towards global warming that is going to change how corporations operate because they still need our money (laughs) yeah so if people start choosing um to not buy nestle products ever again um that would be good that would be good but the thing is people have a lot of i think people have a lot of faith in fusion energy to solve this problem because fusion energy generates tremendous amounts of energy and the only byproduct i think is like helium Helium gas is the byproduct. Could you imagine that we all switch um, over to fusion energy, energy, but now every single person on the planet talks like a chipmunk? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like that society yeah. in the but, future, very <laughs> clean energy, clean planet. Everybody's yeah. talking like a chipmunk. I'd almost rather die. <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But even, even with fusion, you still need fuel for the fusion reactor, and the fuel, I think, is lithium and hydrogen. Um, so you're, you still like, you still confront this fact that you need resources and there's a finite amount of lithium on the planet. So you're going to need to go and find lithium somewhere else other than this planet. And, uh, and then eventually you're going to run and then, and then eventually, right. If there are other civilizations in the universe and they're all competing for lithium, well, then you just have this tragedy of the commons problem again on a universe or a galactic scale because there's a finite amount of resources. Well, that's the thing is that eventually we're going to be back into a... Uh, somewhere along the line in the future of humanity, we're going to face yet another extinction prospect and another extinction prospect and yet another extinction prospect right behind it. If it's not global warming, it'll be some sort of solar flare solar event and even like like this this alien invasion alien invasion invasion whatever (laughs) even if here's the thing is that even if human beings figure out how to reverse aging we can live forever uh no one has to die eventually the universe is going to uh dissipate into an uninhabitable kind of I don't know, you know, like the heat death, like the end of the universe where the Mm -hmm, universe itself runs to the end of its course. So Mm -hmm. even if we could survive that long, whatever billions of years, any individual can choose to live as long as they want and be invincible. Eventually, every living thing that has consciousness will eventually face that moment where the lights go out. So... I guess my point is that even if you figured out how to live billions of years, you're gonna there is gonna come a day 
where you have to choose to die or you're going to die without your consent or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like there is no escape from that moment, no matter how long your life is. Well, that's where you're wrong because the love of Jesus transcends space and time. And that's our episode, <laughs> folks. That's the. That's... <sighs> You're right. You're right. Why am I despairing when I there's a place for me in the heavenly, in the, the firmament made of gold? The streets are going to be made of gold, so that's good. That's that's good. <laughs> the tackiest of all the material to make shit out of. Um, <laughs> And God is Donald Trump. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, well, that's our episode this week, folks. I hope we left you on a very positive note there. Um, <laughs> do not despair or despair. It doesn't matter. It, it really yeah, it doesn't, doesn't matter. Um, it's less fun to despair. And we're here. We're not here for a long time. We're here for a good time. So mm. uh, send us yeah. in your uh, your thoughts and your prayers to tpspodcast420 at gmail.com. And, uh, hey, if you have any uh, suggestions for how we uh, 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 stop global warming, um, <laughs> that would be great. Uh, you T- Tell us, us first. We'll, yeah. We'll <laughs> tell email us your first. <laughs> email. We'll forward your email on to Elon and Jeff Bezos, yeah. and, and they can decide we'll whether they feel Really, it's those two are going to be the last living human beings alive, and they're going to fuse into one being uh, with technology, and they're going to just be this one remaining relic of humanity floating through space, talking about how dope Game of Thrones was. Um, Anything else to add, Sam? Um, Nope. Tune in next week. For another interesting episode of the Philosopher's yeah. Stone, we're, we're going to try and uh, pretend that the, we 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 have a bright future ahead of us as a as a species. <laughs> yeah. Okay, bye, bye.